just have the courage to get up and, and do it again. Um, you know, courage is like a muscle. And I say this in the book, it gets stronger the more you use it. So something, whatever's scaring you in, in the adversity that you're facing and whatever that, that thing is, and we all know it. And, and in our head, it, we're scaring the shit out of us to just get up and face it. If you can write about it, because what typically happens when you write down and you, it, you say it out loud, it actually sounds pretty ridiculous. And so that's one of the practices. I just literally journal on it, but just get back up and try to, to face that adversity once. And then the next time it's that much easier Then the next time it's that much easier. So courage, the way it shows up for me, the more I do it, the better I get at it. That's what I would leave people with and embrace that fail every single day. When you fail every day, you you're winning. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. Today's guest is a mindset coach, host of the Transcended Life podcast, and author of the Amazon bestseller, Let's Go Win, The Keys to Living Your Best Life. He coaches in leadership, business, team building, and career development. His passion is to help others succeed at work, at home, and in life by offering simple tools that provide a work life balance. J.M. Ryerson, welcome to University of Adversity, brother. Hey, Lance. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it and can't wait to do it, man. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as we were talking, this is the first This is the first interview that I've had. I took a little bit of a break after our summit, so I'm really excited because I'm fired up and ready to go. So um, I'd love to just kick it off. Let's talk about you know something that I like to ask people. And you know, it's, it's around adversity. What, when you hear the word adversity, what comes up for you and how has adversity shaped who you are today? Yeah. When I hear of adversity, the first thing I think of is just, I I think of getting back up. Literally. I just envision like Rocky, like, all right, I got my ass knocked down. I'm going to get back up. And I got hit with something that I didn't necessarily plan on or something hit me that wasn't what I had planned on, but I'm going to get right back up and do it again. Um, How has it shaped my life? I was an athlete. um, That's early. I I played basketball in college and I had three knee surgeries by my freshman year. Oh, wow. That adversity hit me far earlier and kind of reshaped what I thought I was going to do in terms of, I thought I was going to play much further. I thought I would go much further in my athletic career. And I had put so much into being an athlete, like JM, the athlete, that when I started having these knee surgeries, one after another, after another, I had to start thinking differently. And, and so some of the things that aren't necessarily positive that I, at the time, I'm like, God, I'm not a basketball player. What am I? Well, then I got to travel abroad and I really got to uh, actually I studied abroad for for almost a year over in the Netherlands and I got to learn more about myself. So something that didn't seem like it was going to be awesome ended up being amazing. And not that I would wish having knee surgeries. I look, I love playing basketball, but I wouldn't take any of it back. 
That's so similar to, to my story, man. Cause with mine was hockey and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting around when you be, when you are an athlete, that's your life. You know, you define yourself as an athlete you are. And then when it's over, you're like, where do I, what am I like? How do I redefine myself? And it's, it's so funny because sometimes, and when we look back now, you realize that that had to happen. Those, you know, those injuries, it, it, it was, it's so hard in the moment, right? Like, I mean, how are you feeling when that happened? And like, how did the people around you react to, because they, they think that you're going somewhere and you, you have all these dreams and goals and then it's done. How is that? Oh, it's so true, man. It's like you have put so much stock into this is who I am. This is what I love. This is what I do. And, you know, accolades that that come along when you do succeed, that gets pretty amazing where you're like, oh, people are seeing or they have expectations. But the truth be told now, if I was talking to myself back then, I'd be like, just enjoy every moment that you have while you're playing stop thinking about where you're going and just give it everything you have. I don't think I had that necessarily when I was younger. I think I was so looking towards, you couldn't tell me I wasn't going to play in the NBA, even after the second knee surgery, even after the third, in my mind, I was so consumed with this goal. Now, whether that was a reality or that was just in my mind, you couldn't convince me otherwise. And so when you lose that, there is, that was at times the lowest of the lows. Like, Oh my God, now what? And you're 18 or 19 years old. Are you kidding me? Now it sounds so ridiculous when you say it out loud, but putting myself back in those shoes, that was the biggest adversity that I remember where I was like, okay, this sucks. Now what? Mm -hmm. And then what I've realized through time, every time I get hit with adversity, you should celebrate it because every time something great comes from it. I mean, And I kid you not every single time, but man, it doesn't feel that way when you get your butt kicked doing, whether it's a a bad podcast or you did a crappy speech or let's say a business failed. It doesn't, it's not like you're like, yes, this is awesome. But the truth is every single time that has happened, something amazing has come from it. So we really should celebrate it, but in our minds, that's not how it feels. And the emotions attached to it, they're not fun. Mm. Yeah. In the moment, it's so, I think that is the key as well as to understand that in the moment when you're faced with that shit that you're going through, it's hard to be, it's hard to be like, yeah, please more of it. But that's the thing that I'm noticing, man, around people is like, you, you learn that enough that when you overcome that, there's always some sort of reward. There's always some sort of leveling up. There's always something. So when that does come, it's like when we can, we can realize that, all right, we're going to get better from this. And it takes people so long sometimes to really get that lesson, right? And like when we're kids, we don't understand that. And like, especially as athletes and, you know, looking back, it's like, imagine we taught the younger generation that as, as an athlete, like it's so important. And the things that come out of all of the things that you learn from being in sports too, like, let's talk about that too. Like where you're at today, like, what are some of the qualities that you learned? Because people don't realize how, how much you learn in sports. If you haven't played sports until after, and you look back, you're like, man, there's so many lessons. Talk us to the, talk us about that for a bit. 
Man, I could go literally, I don't know how much time we have, but I would go for hours on this subject because sports have literally defined in a good way some of the characteristics that I have embraced so much. So for instance, I'll give you a quick story. Uh, going out of college, I was a far better swimmer than I was basketball player, especially the knee surgeries helped with that. And I remember having a conversation with my dad and the, and I had a full ride to name a PAC 12 swimming school, basically. And, or I could go play basketball at a junior college and they would pay for my books. And I chose the latter. I chose going to play basketball because I loved it. Now, why? Because I love teams. I love working with, with teams. I love the camaraderie that comes with it. There's so much that comes from, and not that individual sports are bad, but for me, that team aspect was so important. And that has just continued on in my life. Like, for instance, I don't care where you get in, in a career. People helped you along the way. Your team was there, whether it's your spouse, your kids, your business partners, someone has helped you along the way. And it's like, I learned that from being a teammate. I learned mm. that from working with, you know, whether it's basketball or football or baseball, I didn't play hockey like you did, but, but those are the, the team sports I played. And I loved every second of it. That's probably what I miss the most. And what I've tried to find the most in business is to reinvent that camaraderie, to have those bus trips, to have all these amazing times that we had with these other human beings, I want to relive that again and have been very fortunate in my business career to do so. But I, I continue to look for it because finding like-minded people, someone that someone else that really understands you, that's what you get with this team idea. And so that's what sports have done for me, brother. They just, they've shaped the way that we, we win together, we lose together. It's not about me. Um, you know, getting back up when something isn't going well, you have your brothers around you that are going to pick you up. There's just so many amazing ideas that come from it. And especially when you failed, because any athlete knows you are going to fail far more than you succeed. It's getting back up and doing it again and then doing it again. Mm. And if you're an entrepreneur, guess what? Same shit is going to happen. You're going to get knocked down. All right, get back up. And so that's really, for me, what, what sports have taught me. Mm. And the last thing, I guess, I love to compete. And it's not to compete to beat someone else. I want to compete so all of us rise up. And I don't know that I had that early in my life because I like to compete, but I was trying to beat the other person. Mm. My entire company is called Let's Go Win. But it's not about wins and losses. It's literally setting yourself up to win, to compete, to be your very best every day. Yeah, I love that. And it, it's, that's the thing. And I wish that looking back in sports that I understood that it's, it's about co competition is important, but it's about competition with yourself getting better. And when you get better, your team gets better. And it's not about beating out. That's what people think. It's like, oh, there's not enough spots for me. And it's like that scarcity mindset. And I wish like, that's all my, my dad knew growing when I was growing up was like, you know, if he gets this, you lose this. And it, it doesn't work like that. There's, there's always going to be an opportunity if you just focus on yourself getting better than you were yesterday. And, you know, then your, your teammates around you can focus on that too. And that is such a lesson that I don't know what the coaching is like nowadays. It's a lot different than it was like when we were younger, but like, those are probably like one of the most valuable things you can learn. 
is 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 that yeah that competition's healthy but it's like like competition for what you know like what is your actual outcome of this competition right well brother i have two boys 15 11 so i am deep in the competition and i'm watching so my older mm. boy plays competitive tennis and i would love to tell you that it has changed even a little bit it is so cutthroat that there are parents that are living glory days through their kids. And it's awful because I know I'm looking at a 15, a 12 year old. And I'm like, that kid's never going to play a day past high school because you have burnt this kid out. He is not embracing he or she is not embracing what competition is really all about lifting others up, being your very best, you know, just driving to be that instead they are literally. And when I say living glory days, and again, I, I just, I wish they would celebrate what their child is doing, which is doing what they love. You started playing hockey because you loved it. It's not because you were going to be a pro or whatever. You did it because you loved it. And every single one of us started the same way. So when I coach athletes, I talk about that. We go back. Why did you start playing golf? Because I loved it. Okay. So mm -hmm. it wasn't about being a professional or shooting the score at the, in the beginning, right? No, it's because I loved it. Well, let's find that love again, because when you love to do something, you're better at it. It's just that simple. But if you hate going to work every single day, whether it's a sport or a profession, you're not going to be that great at it. It's just the way it works. So that's something that I work hard on with my athletes that I work with and my two boys, like guys, remember, you did this, you started doing it because you loved it. Mm. it. All these other things that have come along, the accolades and and the awards and, and people saying how great you are. That's cool, man. But remember, you started to do it because you loved it. Yeah. And, and the thing is, too, is there's so many opportunities that come out of that, that, I mean, I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I didn't have my head up my ass because if I would have just... And, you know, everything happened for a reason to where I'm at now. But like, if I was to think about all the different opportunities that come from that in the moment, and like, even if you don't make it professional, there's still so many doors that open, you know, there's just not enough of those conversations growing up and, you know, looking in, in the world now and just like in business and entrepreneurship, you're right. Like you just get knocked down. And if you, if you're a soft, if you, if you can't handle you know, losing once in a while or like, you know, getting beat up a little bit, man, you're going to get eaten alive. And that's the reality. Right. And it's such a good lesson for, for kids to learn growing up. And like, it's so great having kids in sports. Like when I have kids, it's, it's like essential for me to be like, look, just, just go there, you know, do what you love to do, but like, understand that there's like something bigger going on here. Like you're learning so many life lessons that are going to transfer into like everything else that you do later on, right. In, in teams and stuff. And even like, especially as well as like, let's talk about leadership also, right. Like, like to be a good athlete, you have to, to be able to get to like a high level, you have to be a good leader and you know, you have to be led by a good leader. So for you, you know, what makes a good leader? Like what, when you were growing up, like what are maybe some of the things that you saw in a leader and maybe now in your business and in life that you, that you see as being like super powerful at, you know, getting your team going and keeping people inspired? Yeah, man. The biggest thing is it's not about you. Um, that for any leader listening, look, 
it's not about you. It is about that team. It is about something greater than yourself. And that's where when you see some of these amazing champions or leaders that have done it, they talk about the drive for going to that ultimate, whether it's winning a championship or performing at your very best. And so like, for instance, since you're a hockey guy, the, the 1980 uh, Olympic team, the U S Olympic team, they had no chance. They had nothing ever saying that they could do this yet. They had the leadership of, of her, excuse me. They had the leadership of Ruziani. I'm probably getting their names, not perfect, but a Ruziani, excuse me. And they, they had this, this cumulative effort. They were so against this coach. That was their enemy is like, we are going to overcome this asshole. Mm-hmm. And they bonded together so much so that they real they they came together. And so this this brilliant coach, how he did this, it's it's literally phenomenal that he was able to do it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go watch the movie Miracle. It's a, it's a great yeah, movie. It's epic movie, yeah. It's so good. And and so that's a I an idea of where this coach literally was going to drive them to be their very best. There was no attaboys hats on the back. It was all in, in the, the vein of getting them to their best potential. Now, what happened is he ended up being the the person that they were against screw her Brooks. He is the, he's the guy we are going against. So the team bonded together so much. So no one could break them. The Soviets couldn't break them. I think it was the, the Swedes or Finland. I'm so sorry. Again, I don't have it perfect, but they were not going to break this team. They were so bonded. And that's what I think a great leader does is he says, look, there is a common enemy out there far greater than us. And this is what we're going to do. And that could be to eradicate cancer. That could be to bring whatever your why is to the world. But as a team, we are only as strong as our weakest link. And I know that's such a cliche, but it is so true. If everybody on your team is not 100% bought into what you're doing, you're only that strong. And so a great leader can rally the team, inspire them and say, look, it's not about me. It's not about you. It is about us. And that's what I see that is just remarkable is when they can do that. And when they're able to fall on the sword and a great leader will take it first, they will ask you to do something, but they'll do the work times two of that. So if it's, Hey, you run a mile, they're going to go run two, or you come here at 6am, they're going to be there at 530 that's just the way the best leaders show up. And it's that idea of servant leadership that I think is just remarkable. And that's what I strive to be every single day with my team. Yeah. Leadership is, is so, it's such an interesting thing because like you really have to get the buy-in of everybody. And, and that's what I find so interesting because there's harder people, there, there's people that don't, that don't listen or don't, they're always the ones that you're like, Oh man, why can't you just buy in? And somehow the best leaders, the best coaches, they, they somehow get that person on board and you're right. You're only as good as your weakest link. And it's the truest thing. And we've seen it. Anybody that's seen sports is like your whole team can fall apart because of one, one asshole in the dressing room, bringing everybody down or whatever. But it's like, how does, and you know, Phil Jackson was a master at this too. And I, I, you know, you see him and you watch that documentary about the bulls. Like how did, how did that guy somehow 
get the respect of everybody. He was able to bring all those personalities together, you know, Jordan and like Pippin and like, you know, Dennis Rodman, who was like the craziest dude around yet. He somehow could like bring these guys together and they could, they come out and show up. Like it's, it's fascinating to me, you know, like what do you, what do you, what do you think is that thing that, that someone like he has, like, and what do you, what do you see when you, you do it? Like, how do you get everybody to buy into something? I find it so interesting. I think it's such a great point, especially with Phil, because not only did it do it with the Bulls, as as you said, last dance, incredible documentary, but he did it again with the Lakers with two of the biggest egos at the time with Shaq and Kobe. That's right. Yeah. Here, here's what's remarkable to me about Phil versus, let's say, Bill Belichick, which arguably the greatest NFL coach of all time. Yeah. They do it so differently. So Phil, he's a Montana kid. That's where I'm originally from. And so I have an affinity with this guy. I just think he's really incredible. But he did it through this Zen philosophy. And it was way more like it was chill. And you never really saw him get up in people's grills. He was always fairly calm. Now, again, he played in the pros so they, they could respect what he had done. But he brought something totally foreign to the game. Then you have Belichick on the other end where he's not, he is focused on everything you didn't do well, and he's going to drive that point home. And I guess the point that I would say to any leader, you really have to read what your team is and the culture of that team. So Phil brought his culture to clearly the Bulls and then did it again with the Lakers. But I have to imagine he adapted it somewhat to say, look, this is my culture that I want you to buy into, but... I might adapt just slightly to whatever that may be. And so I just think it is cool to say you need to be you. So like, for instance, my philosophy would be closer to Phil than it would be to Belichick. I'm not that big a hard ass, man. I like to give my, my people love. I like to give them a hug. That doesn't mean I won't have the hard conversation, Mm. but we're going to do some of the meditations and stuff far more than maybe Belichick would do. And I, I think that's the point is man, what, however you, best show up as your authentic self people will buy into that but if you're trying to be a hard ass but you're actually a softy it's not going to work man if you're mm-hmm. trying to be a softy but you're at heart you're a Saban or you're a Belichick and you're a hard ass it's not going to work so you have to show up as your authentic self people will buy into that but if you show up any other way they see right through that the bullshit detector like being able to see. And I, I think that that's a great point too. Cause like, if you have to, if you have to pretend to be somebody else, that's hard work and you'll eventually, you can't make that last. And it's so important to really understand that too. Like <laughs> to be, and that's like, that's a lesson in life in general about, you know, being yourself and showing up authentically with everything you do. Because if you're not showing up authentic, you're just living someone else's story. Somebody else's, you know, you're just doing something, you're trying to be somebody else. And, you know, although it's great to use other people as models, you have to show up with your unique self in truth and authentic because people can snuff that out. And I remember too, like coaches like that, and you could just be like, man, you're full of shit, you know, and bosses too. And the best for me, you know, I worked in the bar industry after hockey finished for years. And, you know, I got to work with some really good leaders and some really terrible leaders, but it was always those ones that were just like, there, there's something about them that they, they saw the, they saw the, the talent in you that you may, that you kind of know that you have yet 
you know, not many people recognize it. And, and, and when they do, it's like, oh, you see, you, I'm seen, you know, everybody wants to be seen and heard and respected. Right. And I, I, I think the best of the best can really go around and be like, I see you, man. I see what you got, you know, and you, you push the buttons when you got to push the buttons and some people can't be pushed as much as others. And it's like, it's such an interesting thing because that's what I see as the best leaders as well, or the ones that could like give me the opportunity. And I'm like, Oh, I don't want to fuck this up. Cause they, they respect me. And like, I respect them. And it's like, you know, that would push me to go. And I always find that interesting as well. Cause if somebody doesn't see that and somebody's being an asshole to me, it's like, I don't want to go to battle for you. You know, it's so true. And, and what you said is so true for every, we all want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be recognized, but everybody's slightly different. And those great leaders also recognize Lance wants, maybe it is that love. He just wants that great job. This guy over here, he wants to, you know, a, a, an award. It's taking him out to dinner. This person wants, and everybody is slightly different. And that is the other thing I will say. Greg Popovich is another example. He is a master at knowing exactly what each one of his players really wants. And the way he does that is he gets to know them as a human being, not as Tony Parker as a point guard or Tim Duncan as a power forward. And if you watch Tim Duncan's Hall of Fame speech, he literally said this. He's like, Popovich helped me grow more as a human being ever than he did as a player. And John Wooden was another example of this. See, now I'm getting into basketball so much, but he didn't care about the wins and losses. He cared about the human being that he was building. And he would only have these kids for four years. And so it's just remarkable if you think about it as leaders. So often we want to look a certain way. We want to talk. A, no, just bring the human aspect mm. Get your, to know these people. They will go to war with you. They will go to battle. They will go through anything you ask. But you have to, and the saying that I always say is, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. When you get that part down as a leader, they will follow you through anything. Mm. How do you how do you control your emotions when you get frustrated? You know, because this is something that I am personally that I've always struggled with in sports and even in business and with teams and, you know, you know, understanding people and, you know, I love people, but sometimes my emotions get the best of me and, you know, my temper and that kind of thing. Like, how do, how do you deal with that when you get frustrated, especially when you're leading a team and an organization? It's a great question, brother. And I actually, I do a lot of things because I too, growing up had a very fast temper. In fact, my nickname was Mr. T <laughs> playing basketball because I would get technicals. So in my adult life, what I've learned is those are, I have triggers, right? And some of those triggers are somebody says something. Well, my immediate res response or reaction is this. And what I want to do is actually respond. So I meditate uh, every single day. Uh, in, and I do that simply to learn how to respond and not react. Also, if I have the chance, I will find a trigger to offset that. So for instance, if I'm driving down a freeway, somebody cuts me off in, in, in the fast lane, my immediate reaction is that guy's an asshole. He doesn't care about me. And the truth is that person's probably just doing whatever they need to do. So one of the triggers I do is I turn on music. Hmm. Music makes me happy. So instead of even 
responding at all about that person cutting me off who has no care about me at all. That's not, they're thinking about their own day. I just turn on music and that music will call me. So when it comes to leadership, sometimes I'll count. Mel Robbins came out with that book, The Five Second Rule and five, four, three, two, one, calm. Five, four, three, two, one, relax. Five, four, three, two, one, breathe. Whatever you want to do. I utilize that as well because I know whenever I've reacted, it has gone poorly. But when I actually stop and I respond, then it goes well. And so there's many things that I do to literally just figure that out. But the meditation has been the most profound exercise for me to be able to not immediately have that emotion overtake me because that happens in our limbic system so fast. Mm -hmm. We can't stop it, but we can stop the way that we react. We can respond a certain way. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. And isn't that really the key to everything is like how you respond to the moment because our emotions, we get so we're so emotional and it's so easy to just react to everything. And you're right. Meditation. It's like people ask me like, oh, why do you meditate? What does it do? It literally gives you time. It like it like creates this like invisible extra second or two that you you are able to look at the situation and you become an observer and you're like, huh, instead of like, oh, what are you talking about? What are you doing? It's like it, it buys you that that time to like, all right, wait a second. Like what is actually happening here? And that happens so quickly. That's why meditation is such a great way. And it's essential, especially when you're dealing with, you know, people and personalities and like, you know, these, the, these triggers and man, yeah, I completely agree. It's like, it's such a key aspect in controlling your emotions on a daily basis. Well, when you said that, that's when, you know, somebody has spent a lot of time meditating when you become the observer, because there is this moment where you lift away and you see that it's so much more clear then when you're in the moment and you see red or whatever emotion you're feeling, you do, you like float back and you're like, ah, I got this, but it comes through practice, man. That's not going to come overnight. If you meditate one time, all of a sudden you're going to do that. That comes through many, many times, hours, you know, years of practicing and it becomes easier and easier. Yeah. That's man. It's so true. In it's about the consistency all the time. Like how it's, you could meditate half an hour and then not meditate for two weeks. It does less than if you do two minutes a day, three minutes a day, it's like that consistency. It's like that building that muscle that's more important. And you're right. It takes time. It's some people that just start out meditating, man, it's like one of the hardest things. And people are like, I don't need that. I'm like, yeah, you do. <laughs> if you okay. say you don't need it, you need it. That's the first thing you need, right? For years, I had on my goals, meditate 10 minutes a day. Now, this is how ridiculous this was. If I didn't have 10 minutes, I just wouldn't do it. Think about that in, in how ridiculous that sounds. So I just changed the goal. My goal is to meditate daily. That could mean I meditate seven times today. That means 30 seconds now. That means three hours. It's rare that happens, but let's just say I get lost in thought. Can it happen on a hike? Absolutely. And I guess that's part of it is just meditate. Just try it, you guys. My mom is so against this idea defiant because she's like, my brain's going. I'm like, just the fact that you recognize that you're meditating. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, that for sure. I want to switch gears and kind of, you know, ask you 
I like to ask people kind of around, you know, the last year and just because obviously we've all dealt with the shit in the world a little bit different. And for me, my question is like, how with within the last year, what has been the biggest challenge for you, you know, as a human, you know, business owner, all of it. And has, how have you had to adapt because of it? Walk us through that a little bit. The, the hardest thing is not being around the people. I, I, I guess I didn't realize how much I relish being around these human beings that, that we work with every day and, and that we get to be around. We choose to be around. The fact that the world told me I could not, I couldn't do that or I, you know, people were afraid to do that. I'm, I'm a hugger, man. I'm like, come here, give me love. That's just what I, I me do. Too. Yeah. And so that was by far and away that, that lack of human contact. I, I couldn't stand it. I try not to say the word hate, but I, I really disliked it a lot. How I had to adapt, man, I had to become more uh, intentional in, in connecting with human beings. Cause zoom, this is awesome. I get to see your face. You're in Miami. I'm in Boca, but it's not the same as if we're in the same room. It's just not. And so I had to find other ways to really get to know them. So some of the things I did is I created what's called the interview I N N E R where I'm asking deeper questions than just, Hey Lance, how you doing? Well, mm-hmm. shitty JM, the world shut down. I can't go outside. Like the answer is going to be the same over and over and over. So I had to get more intentional about asking questions that really matter. Like, no man, how are you really doing? Are you able to work out? Are you, how's your relationship with your spouse? You know, I would just ask deeper questions. And what I found is it's not the same as being in the room and, you know, enjoying an adult beverage together or whatever we might do, but it's close because we are still able to connect. So I'm actually really happy it happened. Um, Not that the world shut down our economies and shit, that's bad, but the human aspect really, I guess I, I appreciate it that much more than I did before where I know how much I need and want that energy with another human being. And that I missed the most brother. So that was the adaptation part was something that will help me uh, down the line. But man, I'm so glad the world's opening up because that was brutal. I love being around people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Like in person in general, everything is, there's just something that energy, the energy that you get. And to be honest with you, man, like, I don't know if I didn't have this opportunity and this blessing to be able to have a podcast during all that shit. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how, like, I mean, I would have gotten through it, but my, my way of, you know, survival and enjoying and thriving, not surviving, but like, is the conversations with people. And, and like, even though it was through zoom, it's like, it's still like, it fires me up, you know? And like, and that opportunity, if that was taken away where those conversations couldn't happen, I just don't know how, like, you know, because you realize what fills your cup, right. And you realize what, you know, empties your cup. And it's, it's really interesting. Cause I think COVID and all that stuff just really tested people. And it's interesting because everybody has their thing that really hit them hard. Some people thrived. Some people got shit kicked. 
you know, it's, um, it's really an interesting thing. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's taken us to where we are now. So I always like to reflect on it because man, it was, it's been a wild year to say the least, you know? Well, and I think that's important for people to, to reflect on it and to say, this is what happened. Maybe I wasn't happy. Maybe I, I started watching the news every single day. That's okay, man. It's okay to say I was hurting and, and to recognize that and then to come out of it and say, this is what I learned. And that's, that's what I've really tried to do to your point is reflect. I journal on it. Like I didn't like that feeling again, going back to sports, the high five, the simple idea of a high five, that is a transfer of energy. That is a positive thing. I love to do because it's you, anybody that gives a high five, you're like, yes, you feel good. I couldn't do that during COVID. So now when I see people, I'm giving them that much more to be like, come here, man. And it, hopefully people are getting a little more used to it as the masks start to come off. Mm. Tell us a little bit more about your book, man. Let's go in. Yeah, brother. So I wrote that book specific for, I have two boys, as I mentioned earlier. And the idea was I wanted them to not skin their knees as much as maybe I did growing up. And so, you know, lessons for my parents, grandparents, authors, mentors, I just wanted to put it all into one easy read. So if you hopped in a plane in New York and you landed in LA, you could finish the book and walk away with tangible takeaways. So that was the, the reason I wrote the book. And I was working with a gal and she said, God, I didn't know you're selfish. And I said, what do you mean? I, I don't think I'm selfish. She said, if you only share this book with two human beings, you are selfish. All right, I hear you. And so we published it and it's just led to just some incredible conversations with people when they come up and they're like, oh man, that really helped me. Like I wrote about the, the first chapters on vulnerability. Well, again, I'm a kid from Montana that's not necessarily something that we grew up talking about. And I was actually taught boys don't cry. Not great advice. I do cry, man. Look, if something hits me, I'm going to let that shit out. I'm not going to hold it in until it's a volcano of emotion. And so that book for me personally was extremely important just to be able to journal my thoughts, get it all on paper and, and then share it with other human beings because when somebody can read something and they perceive it differently, I love that conversation. How'd that hit you? Oh, cool. I never thought of it that way. And so I've just had so many of those conversations since, and it's been awesome. And I absolutely love doing it. I, I kind of, I think like getting tattoos, they become addictive. And so I wrote another one. Now I want to write another one. I'm just, I love it, man. It's just, it, it's a great feeling. Mm. Love it, man. Where can everybody check you out? You got your Instagram, let's go win 365 website let's go win.com. Where else can we send everybody to check you out? Yeah, man. Any social media platform, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it's all let's go win 365. Uh, if they go to the let's go win.com website, there's a free work life balance sheet that I do every month. And hopefully that'll help them check into some of these areas so that they can live their best life. And then, yeah, man, just I, I'd love to hear from people because I love, like I said, connecting with human beings. And if something hits them in a good way, I'd love to hear about it. If they're like, you suck at this, I like to hear that too because I want to get better every single day. And that's one of my goals. I love it. Yeah, the, the good and the bad. It's all, it's all just as important, right? <laughs> I think so. I grow more when people tell me what I'm not doing great. Well, I, you know, that's, that's what it is. If you could leave everybody with one takeaway around overcoming adversity or adversity, what would it be? 
just have the courage to get up and, and do it again. Um, you know, courage is like a muscle. And I say this in the book, it gets stronger, the more you use it. So something, whatever's scaring you in, in the adversity that you're facing and whatever that, that thing is, and we all know it. And, and in our head, it, we're scaring the shit out of us to just get up and face it. If you can write about it, because what typically happens when you write down and you, you say it out loud, it actually sounds pretty ridiculous. And so that's one of the practices. I just literally journal on it, but just get back up and try to, to face that adversity once. And then the next time it's that much easier Then the next time it's that much easier. So courage, the way it shows up for me, the more I do it, the better I get at it. That's what I would leave people with and embrace that fail every single day. When you fail every day, you you're winning. Mm. Well said, my man. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you coming on. Lance, it was truly my pleasure. You're awesome, brother. I appreciate you and uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. I, the people need it. Yeah. Likewise, brother. I love it. We have a lot in common. You know, you start talking about journaling, you talk about meditation and all the listeners know I talk about that a lot, man. So great stuff. Love your, love what you're doing. Love your outlook on life. And I appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you too, man. Thanks everybody.